Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 351. This program is dedicated in loving honor and memory of Yecheva Tova Gurari. We're in the week of Parshas Achrei and Kedoshim, two chapters that are joined. And we also have many issues to continue addressing that began last week, honoring 30 years of Chofches Nissen, when the Rebbe said and uh, issued that passionate plea, do everything you can to bring Mashiach. And many other topics, questions that you keep presenting, which enrich this program, enrich us all. So please continue to, without any hesitation, ask any question that's on your mind or heart it's completely confidential and, most importantly, anonymous. Just submit it at chassidahsupply.com. There's a submission form where you don't have to give your name at all, and we cannot trace your name. So there's no question that you should be concerned or afraid of asking. And I will, please God, attempt to answer it. We have many questions of so many different colors across the spectrum of human experience. And... Uh, can I say it's now 351 programs, eight years, and going strong simply due to the fact that there's a need, uh, as demonstrated by the questions that keep coming in and demonstrated by uh, the listeners. And I thank you for that. Thank you for being part of this journey. I thank you for allowing me to be part of this journey into your home and into your life in issues that each of us deal with, struggle with. Many are positive issues, some are challenging issues, some are theological ones. So we join together as chassidim, applying chassidus to our personal lives. With that, let's begin with Acherik Deshim, since this is living with the times, as the Alter Rebbe said, with the Pasha. So Acherik Deshim, Achri comes from the word after, Achri Meishne Bnei Adin. It's referring to the story two chapters back, when Nadav and Aviu, the sons of Adin, in the day when the Mishkan was established and erected, then it was first day of, of, its, uh, of its functionality. So Nadav and Aviyu in their great ecstasy and passion and yearning and pining and craving for an experience of the divine of the highest level. As the Irachayim HaKadosh elaborates, they get, went into the Holy of Holies, but what happened was because they did not have the complete kalim, the different explanations for it, they were unable to contain it. So they were consumed by a strange, by an alien fire, Eish Zorah. So this Pasha, Achrei Meish, after the death of the two children of Aaron, the Ebershah says, B'zeis If you want to know how to experience me, how to go into the Holy of Holies, and how to experience the divine in the purest form, B'zeis, this is how you do it. And Hashem continues the laws basically of Yom Kippur, which is when the Kohen Gadol goes into the Holy of Holies. But it's really, as this explains, as Chassidus explains, this is the methods and the ways of how we experience the divine without being annihilated and obliterated and overwhelmed by it. And it right away brings to mind the famous story in the Gemara, where the four that entered the Pardis, the orchard, which was also a spiritual experience. Rabbi Akiva, Ben Benzema, and Elisha Ben Avuya, later called Acher. And three of them came out damaged in some way. One died, hits a mess, one went mad, one became an apostate. Only Rabbi Akiva, Nichnas Bashalam, Vyatsa Bashalam, unscathed. He entered in a wholesome way and he left in a wholesome way. So this was Rabbi Akiva. In the language of Chsidis, that there was a rotse and a shuv that were integrated and balanced with each other. Famous mimer from the Rebbe Rashab, Achri Meis Tafshin, Tafresh Memtes. This is the year Tafresh Memtes would be 1889. That the Rebbe Rashab said a maimer achre meis on Parshas achre, a long maimer, relatively speaking, discussing this at length. Rotze and Shuv is an expression from Yecheskel, from the book of Yecheskel, where he talks about the vision of seeing the chayis rotze v'shuv, the energy, the divine energy, or the divine chayis akedish, the malachim, the different explanations for it. He sees them running to and fro, like electricity, a, a, a pole, two poles, positive and negative. 
Actually, in that same verse, he uses the word chashmal, which is the modern word for Hebrew. In Hebrew, for electricity. Because electricity is like a lightning bolt. And the zarotse is a yearning. And shuv is a return and integration. Tension and resolution. Yearning and integration. The key balance to everything. If you look at a cardiogram, you don't see a flat line, God forbid. You see a wave. It goes up and then it goes down. A perfect wave is a perfect rotse v'shuv. So contraction, expansion, exhale, inhale. The pulsating energy of everything in existence is, consists of this pulsating form of a rotse v'shuv. And in Naveda, that means we all need to have a measure of healthy angst where we just don't have animal bliss, where we're seeking. And then we have to internalize it because too much seeking without resolution creates anxiety or worse. Well, in the case of Nodav Avio and the three that went into the Pardis, except Rabbi, besides Rabbi Akiva, Arotze without a proper shuv, which of course can be very dangerous. On the other hand, to have uh, no rotze, only a shuv, as I said, is also not healthy, animal bliss. So you have to have the perfect balance. You need to have the restlessness, ne'er Hashem nishma sodom, like a flame that's flickering. It needs to flicker, or else the flame goes out, God forbid. So it needs to flicker and seek and yearn and pine, long, a longing, and then it needs to be internalized. So that's the first lesson of Achri, of Achri, Pashas Achri Meis, so they didn't go in with bad intentions. They went in very good intentions. But the deeper you go into the spiritual experience, the more craving there is, the more longing there is, the more balance there is necessary to ground it. The wick and the flame, the flame and the wick. Kedoshim continues this theme, if you think about it, because it's about sanctifying your life. Not remaining in a mundane state, not, remaining a, not living a pedestrian life, which is a routine, but sanctifying. Kadeshim Atem, Kikodesh Ani. Because God is sacred, we need to sanctify ourselves. Sanctifying requires a rotse, requires a yearning. But it has to be, in a way, again, integrated, which is, of course, why all the mitzvahs, Asher Mitzvah there's a sanctity, but the mitzvahs are all grounded, whether it's actionable mitzvahs or whether it's mitzvahs in speech or thought, but they're all based on grounding it, so you bring a divine experience into your life, but in a way that's internalized, that's integrated, that's part, become, permeates and part of who you are. So it's a tremendous lesson in so many areas of life when you see imbalance in every possible way, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, is to look at, is there too much rotse? Is there too much shuv? Is there the right balance of the two? So it's a formula, really, for applying the, the deepest experiences, but in a way that we can live with it. Unfortunately, some people are lacking the rotze. They're lacking that restlessness. They're satisfied. They're their comfort zone. They're happy with themselves. Others may have too much restlessness. So there you have the formula that we need to seek and look out. So that's one very powerful lesson in Achrik Deshim that we can all apply to our personal lives. Um, it's interesting that we are also in the middle of the days of Svira. Svira too, as we say in the Hiratsan after we count, that it's about also refining ourselves and having helped God refine ourselves in every possible way, which is another form of sanctification. As we say, to count to count the Emer. So Chassidus bringing the, the Pardis, and other sources says the word Sfira is not just counting. Sfira also has the meaning Sipur. It tells a narrative. And a third interpretation, Sapir. It's like an, a sapphire stone which is transparent, which illuminates. And there's even a fourth interpretation brought less often, Sefer. Not just telling a story. It is a storybook. It is a Sefer that captures the essence of what the author wants to convey and explains in the context of the Sfiris. The Esosphiris, we know, the Esosphiris are God's instruments. Esosphiris blima, that, we, uh, that God uses, Chachmah through Malchus, to create existence. And these reflect and manifest in our faculties. Nishtal Shlomahen, as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, that they evolve, the ten faculties from the ten spheres. So the spheres don't just, are not just the way God counts and builds the structure 
and the multitude of the universe with numbers, in other words, in the sense like you have so many items, quantity, that's the number part. That's just the most surface level of what the spheres accomplish. But there's also the second point that they also tell a story. They tell a narrative. They are the instruments of godliness, so they tell us about God. And they tell us the deeper parts of the narrative as well, to the point that they reveal and illuminate. And finally, they become the safer, which the divine manifests through in expressing godly, the essential elements of godliness. So the spheres too are a form of interface between existence and the divine that help us sanctify and help us understand the deeper story and narrative of our lives and help us become actually channels of light, ambassadors of the divine energy in this world. So the themes come together and they also enrich the whole experience that every mitzvah is, carries within it and contains within it layers and layers of deeper meaning. And above all, in the context of our chassidus applied, applying it to our personal lives in the most relevant way that can help us each in our own personal way, to, in a personal life, to take our chokhmah, our bina, our das, our chesed, our gvura, and align it. We all have chesed, we all have love and kindness, but align it with its highest purpose of being not just a loving person, but also a channel for divine love in this world. And the same with the other spheres. Okay. Being that we're also coming in these days, there's questions that are, have arisen about the issue of the state of Israel, the land of Israel, Eretz Yisrael. So I have a question here, and I want to begin with that um, after the Pasha. What is the Rebbe's view on Israel? So this is a question that has already been addressed in previous programs. There's a good opportunity to refer you again to chassidusapply.com, where I talk about many, all these topics, there's the archives, just go there and you can find the archives. So let me refer you to a few programs where I address this issue, and I will talk about this briefly. It was episodes 88 through 90, and episode 279. Easy to find, you just go to chassidusupply.com, you could either search for that number of the episode, or by topic. And it's also time-stamped, where you can just t- click and the type, it says, let's say, Rebbe's view on Israel, or our perspective on Israel, and just click on it, go straight to that part of the program, so you don't have to listen to the entire thing. Though, frankly, I don't mind if you do, but since our time is valuable, you can go straight to the actual topic. Good. So here's the question in full, uh, the full version of it. I would appreciate if you could discuss the more general attitude of the Rebbe to the modern state of Israel. I don't know if this, is, if this has been discussed previously as I am a relatively new listener to your program, but it has been discussed. But if it has been discussed, I would love to be referred to those programs. Thank you. So I just referred you. And then another question. What changed in Lubavitch's official policy concerning Israel? The Rebbe Rashab was clearly against having a state of Israel, but the Ramash, referring to the Rebbe as he was called by acronym, before Tovshin Yud, before 1950, was a big supporter of Israel and even gave private audience to some Israeli prime ministers and other government officials, which in itself expresses the legitimacy of the state. Well, not necessarily, as we shall see in a moment. Okay, two good questions, and I said I spoke about it more at length, but very briefly, two points, two general points. First of all, it's important to discuss before the fact and after the fact. In Tovshin Ches, 1948, that's when it was established, the State of Israel. A very different attitude once something exists than before it exists. So you could be opposed to something ideologically in a very serious way beforehand. Not that you accept it afterwards, but your attitude, your approach is different because you have to deal with some facts on the ground. That's number one. And I'll explain what that difference is in a moment. Number two it's not possible to say that the Rebbe took a different position than the Rebbe Rashab or the Friedrich Rebbe. They're all one. The Rabbeim come al-Piteira, al-Pihalocha, al-Pichsidis. That does not change. What changes is the times in which we live and different approaches to be taken based on different factors. So I want to just negate that, those, that, 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 that aspect as well. So the practical aspect, and let's start with the very practical. Yes, there were people opposed fundamentally, halachically, to the Jewish people establishing a state, especially a secular state, before Mashiach comes. Because only God determines when we go out of Golis and when Eretz Yisrael becomes 
the way it should have been, like it was by the Beis Hamikdash, even greater than that. And there's all discussions on this, theological discussions, halachic discussions, and so on. So therefore, the very establishment, in the opinion of those, is going basically going against God's will. And especially, even if it was a religious state, can you decide you're going to just to, to, to establish a terrorist state of Israel? That's a big question. Can you go build a base on for example? So that's, actually that was not done. But just hypothetically. So there are things that are not in our control. But especially a secular state, which actually was driven by being against Torah and secularizing the Jewish people and the Jewish community. So you can imagine the opposition that existed in the beginnings and the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, when the discussion began about this topic. Yet there were those religious and observant G'dalim and Jews who felt, it's true, we don't agree with their policy, but we agree you know, with the general principle of the Jews having a place to go back to. And slowly we will transform the country and the state into a, a Torah-based one. Preparing the world for the preparing the Jews and the world for the Gula. So there were many opinions, and here's not the place to go through all of them. And in that case, yes, the Rebbe Rashab himself actually was one of the founders of Agudis Yisro, of Agud, which was a so-called a religious faction. But then he changed his position because he felt clearly that this was not going the way it would go, and it would be used for political purposes, and he would not really have say, so it wouldn't really have influence. He felt therefore it was not the right thing to do. And, and, of course, we have his letter that, was a, that you referred to in your note here, in your question, very strong statements against the whole thing, which, which went along with so many others that felt that way. <clears throat> but then there's another thing. There's a practical side to it. At that point, it was theoretical. And therefore, theoretical, there are many reasons against it. I'm talking especially halacha and teda. When I say many, I'm not trying to present that there's an opinion for it. Just, I'm just trying to be balanced in the presentation here. But then there's a practical side to it. Once a state was established, why is it different, you can argue, than let's say building a Jewish community council in Borough Park, or in Paris, or in other communities where there are Jews, and you need certain things. You need services, you need government liaison, you need utilities, funding. So once there's a kvutza, a group, a community of Jews living there, they need someone to, they need some type of infrastructure. So therefore, the position of the Rebbe, in brief, is that the infrastructure, the idea that many Jews are there and they need protection, they need an army, especially surrounded by enemies, and need resources, and need just all coordination, like, we, like in any group, any company. So it doesn't necessarily have to have value, except the value that any community in the world would have. Aitz and Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael remains in his Gdusha. No one ever questions Gdusha and Eretz Yisrael. And that there's dinim of Trumisamaisis and other dinim even in the time of Golos. But whether the government and what they call the state has any Torah difference changed in 1948, the answer would be no. So nothing happened from a Torah point of view except the fact that now Jews have the opportunity to live there and build and therefore deserve and need services and need protection and need everything that's necessary. And Adarab, on the contrary, yes, making a mokum teda, yeshivas and everything, as we've seen the Renaissance in this part of the world. So it's actually not such a complicated position if you think about it. It's very pragmatic and practical. As far as the meeting with prime ministers and others, these are all Jews. And even if you don't agree with them politically, number one, why are they different than any Jew? Secondly, a goal is to have a positive influence on people who have position of influence, wherever they may be. What benefit is there, what, to boycott them? Boycott to just say, I'm against you? So the Rebbe's position was very practical and very in line because fundamentally what the Rebbe's goal is to get every Jew in the world, including an Yisrael, to be a shemitator to be connected to God, and why the Jews in Israel, <laughs> why are they more, less in that regard than anyone? And then, of course, there's the Holy Land itself that Jews throughout that diaspora and Golis always aspired to go. Ramban, Shalah, and others who made the Territ Yisrael before their, the, end year, the end last years of their lives. So the concept has to be distinguished between. That's why when the Rebbe spoke between the Territ the, the, the and the sanctity of that part of the world and the people and what they do. 
very two different things. When the Hebrew wants, he will send Mashiach, and Mashiach will come and create Kibbutz Goliath, and bring base and rebuild the base of Shashlishi. Then we know, as the Rambam says, that's Mashiach Vada, and that's the Gula. The Rebbe was opposed to Aschalta the Gula, because Aschalta the Gula, according to the Rambam, doesn't begin until that happens. The fact that Jews do mitzvahs and tater throughout Golos, especially in the later years that we're on the verge, on the threshold, still doesn't make it Gula. It means that we're on the threshold, and we're doing whatever is possible. And the fact that many Jews now live in Israel more than anywhere else in the world for the first time, on the contrary, tells us we're going in that direction. But I want to stick to our discussion here. The Rebbe writes a letter to Shazar, President Shazar, Sheol Zanir Zalman Rubinov, who was a, named after the Alter Rebbe, actually. Came from Chassidish roots. So when he became president in the 60s, the Rebbe, the Rebbe interacted with him. He came to Fabringens. He came several times to see the Rebbe as president. Another, another parsha. But there's one interesting letter which I just want to briefly quote. Where he writes, the Rebbe writes to him and dresses him as being the, the, the president or some, the, the, a leader in Eretz Yisro. doesn't write Medina Yisro. So he writes to the Rebbe, why is the Rebbe forcing me to have to, to choose between being a chosin and being a president of this country? Because I took an oath, he says, to the Medina Yisro. The Rebbe is writing Eretz Yisro. So the Rebbe responds briefly. First of all, you're older than I am, and how could I prevent you from being a chassid? So don't, it's like essentially. Secondly, Eretz Yisrael makes your position even bigger, because Medinis Yisrael began in 1948. Eretz Yisrael began thousands of years ago when the Ebrister gave this land to the Jewish people. So Medinis Yisrael is limiting. You could say the UN it, it gave it to the Jewish people, and then the UN can take it. Eretz Yisrael has nothing to do with the UN. Nothing to do with us, it's to do with God. That was the brief answer. So you see from that the position, in another angle of it. Okay, so nothing changed in policy. It's been always the same way. And this is the general position, and it's a positive one. But at the same time, yes, you won't find the Rebbe Chabad honoring Yemat Sma'ut, per se, for the reasons as I, as I mentioned. As, but on the other hand, Honoring and respecting a government and, and respecting its infrastructure and paying taxes and doing whatever it takes to support. And especially those men and women who, who defend the lives of the Jewish people, there's nothing greater than that. They're defending the lives of others. They're sacrificing themselves. But that's not connected to a, 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 the, the, a Medina Sisro. That's connected to people who are defending Jewish people. It would be the case anywhere, but especially in the land of Israel. Okay, since we're on that topic, someone asked the question, this came a few weeks ago, so I don't know how it's not relevant, but let me address it. Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. I was reading the news today, and naturally I'm turning to you as you, with a question, as you are a relevant Hasidic mashpia that I enjoy listening to weekly. Israel's new conversion law recognizing reform conservative conversions. This is something that Rebbe screamed about 51 years ago. Why did the Rebbe's fight not prevail? What does it mean to you? What can we learn from it? Most importantly, what should we be doing about it? Thanks. Okay. So first of all, I don't believe it went into law. I think it was a, past a certain stage. The bottom line, first let's explain the most important thing of all, the foundation of the whole issue. When the Rebbe came out about what was called Mi Yehudi, Gir Kaloche, it was addressing the law of return in the Israeli constitution that assures that any Jew, without any prerequisites, gains immediate, immediate recognition as a citizen of, the, of Eretz Yisrael. The question is, what defines a Jew? So it says there are a Jew born to a Jewish mother and one converted, but it doesn't say al The Rebbe immediately, as a true visionary, who saw the big picture in the future, said there's a loophole here. Any Jew, any conversion could mean any conversion. Conversion could just mean you bring a piece of paper. So the Rebbe came out adamantly, especially demanding the religious parties to amend it, the tikkun of the chok mi Yehudi, who's a Jew, to add the words api halach, which would be consistent with how the Jews convert, how, how people converted throughout history from the Matan Teda. The Jews converted by Matan Teda too. 
And without that, you leave an opening that could be a major mess because someone can claim they're a Jew. 20 years later, you meet someone, a, a young woman, Jewish woman meets a young so-called Jewish man or a young Jewish man meets a so-called young Jewish woman. <clears throat> Are you Jewish? Yeah, convert it. But not al Allah. This was a major battle that I would speak about it, scream about it over Shabbos after Shabbos. I remember vividly. It was one of the most passionate wars that I ever fought. He never succeeded to get them to change it, but put a lot of pressure. Technically speaking, the Israeli rabbinate, which is controlled by the Orthodox, I don't like the name Orthodox, but the chief rabbi, the rabbinate that determines Kedushin and Gitin, marriage, divorce, and the laws, of course, marriage, demanding that it has to be Jews who converted up Allah. Remember, a lot of Jews came from Europe, came from Russia especially, and in Russia was a big confusion who's Jewish, who's not Jewish. So this is not a theoretical issue, it was a real practical problem. So a bottom line is, in most cases, I'm not saying their mistakes can happen, that they're very strict. When someone says they converted, they want to know who the rabbi is, they have to have, bring proof, it has to be a complete halacha conversion. Someone comes from America, says, I'm converted, they need, they check. I know myself, I've gotten, I've got, I've gotten requests. They said, you're the person's rabbi, please vouch for them. Who converted them? How was it done? Was it in a bezden, a piyaloche? And they negated anything that's not al piyaloche. Since conservative reform, don't go according to the standards of history. That was always the standards. And there's shifts. So they were not accepted in that sense. Of course, that created more controversy because you know how many people have converted conservative or reform conversions in the United States and other places. So this has been another fight that that conversion should be considered. Now, of course, halacha means halacha. Just like the United States Constitution, you can't have two different interpretations of the law. If you have two, two different interpretations, you have to go to court to establish what it is. That's even a man-made constitution, let alone a Torah constitution. So the standard was always, I believe they say it's Ben-Gurion's logic, but I'm not sure if it's attributed to him, the idea, why did you give the Orthodox the power in, the, in, in, the, in Israel? There are different rabbinates and different denominations. And the answer was the bar mitzvah answer. If I make a bar mitzvah and I'm inviting all my relatives, some eat kosher, some don't eat kosher. Will I have two caterers? I'm going to have the kosher caterer because the non-kosher people eat kosher. The kosher people don't eat non-kosher, so why would I spend money for two caterers? In other words, whether we like it or not, he said, whether we're secular or not, secular or not, the fact is the highest standard is going to be the prevailing one, because that everybody accepts. So very much, very again, another practical, logical solution. Just get the one, the one that everybody accepts, so that way you resolve that issue. It's like getting the best type of insurance, AAA. Why get double A when there could be triple A? You have the best, and everybody accepts that. But it continues to rage on for many different reasons. There's political reasons, there's practical reasons. There's people who have, have such conversions that they don't, they don't want to be delegitimized. They say the standards are too high halachically. But it's understandable how this is a, it could be a tremendous tragedy and what could happen when you don't have a mutual and equal standard. That's the heart of the whole issue. So, the Rebbe's fight, look, we don't know, we don't know God's plans. Every fight has its impact, everything has its time. It definitely brought the issue to the limelight and has been discussed, and you see how it's still a topic. And we believe and we hope that it should be upheld like every, every Tater standard. What do we learn from all this? We learn from all this that we have, to, we have a lot more work to do to explain why Allah is so valuable. Many people think that the halachic standard is, okay, it's the strictest standard. And you know what? I'm not such a strict observant Jew. But we have to explain to ourselves and to others why halacha is the ultimate God's plan for this world. It's not just a strictest standard, another standard, and I have a different opinion. That's what I think is we've, we're failing and have failed so much. And I am trying to be part of those that try to correct that. Halacha doesn't just come from the word law, it also comes from the word movement, halicha. What does movement mean? It's aligned with the mobility and the movement of life. It's not just this rigid dogmatic law and just follow it. It's meant to help free us to be the best we can be and align ourselves to what Hashem wants of us. So when the halacha states, instead of getting stuck, I have my opinion, your opinion, 
we need to explain to ourselves and to others what is it really expecting of us? How halach is the best way to live? Because right now you have the divisiveness. Well, you know what? The orthodox is not for me. I'm reform, I'm conservative, reconstructionist, unaffiliated, and so on. As I've said a number of times, and I, it's, it's worthwhile mentioning, I remember once when I was, went to speak, this was when my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, was published. It was in Miami, it was in South Beach. So they have their, the International Miami, in November, they have the International Miami Book Fair. So new books are featured, authors are featured. I was one of the featured speakers as a new author. And I spoke at a uh, Lincoln Road Colony Theater, I believe it was called. A beautiful theater, packed house. And I made my presentation. At the end of my talk, questions. The acoustics were unbelievable. They're rel- it's relevant to the story. And the woman raises her hand. I remember she stood up top left, the second tier. And she says, Rabbi Jacobs, I just listened to your eloquent talk. And I saw she's, <laughs> so she says the following. Before I get this book, before I buy Toward a Meaningful Life, I'd like to know your position, your opinion um, on conservative Judaism. Because I hear people like you and your teacher, your rabbi, don't recognize it. And I don't want to buy the book of a bigot. Those were her words. Now the whole crowd, I remember it was a hush and very quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Because she wasn't the only one, I guess, that had that question. They wanted to see how I'm going to respond. So to use the dramatic moment, I said, you're absolutely right. The Rebbe and I as a student do not recognize conservative Judaism. The whole place began to rumble. I remember I felt like they were about to stone me. You could feel the tension in the air. And then I said, before you uh, get violent, I want to just add the following. I also don't recognize Orthodox Judaism conservadox or reformadox or ultra-orthodox or chassididox or all the doxes that have or will be created. Do you know why? Because in the constitution of Judaism, the Torah, there's no reference made to any of these denominations. They're labels. Labels are for clothing, not for souls. Let me ask you a question in return, I said to her and to everyone. Was Moses orthodox, conservative, or reform? Is God conservative, orthodox, or reform? Is God Jewish? Anyone that has even a rudimentary understanding of a soul knows that you can't label a soul orthodox, conservative, or reform no more than you can label it a square, circle, or triangle. A soul is a spiritual entity created in a divine image, the human being. A soul is a piece of the divine. However you explain that, Divine energy. Men, human beings, create labels. That was what I said. The woman continued and said, but how do I know? That's a very nice answer, but how do I know that's what you really believe? So I said, look, I, at this point I already uh, feigned indignation, they call it. I said, look, lady, life is filled with risks. You're going to have to get my book and find out for yourself. If you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. So what do you see from this? It's a whole different perspective. People don't understand it this way. That's what I learned from all of this, that there's confusion, there's misunderstanding based on axioms. It's like the famous line from the Blavi Yitzhak of the God you don't believe in, he told the self-proclaimed atheist. The God you don't believe in, I also don't believe in. So we have a great responsibility to educate, to inform, to clarify how Teda, this Teda Eir and Teda Schayim, a Teda of light, a Teda of life, that gives us relevant and indispensable way of understanding how to align ourselves, our lives, our machine, which is life, to the plan of the engineer. And that's the best way you can possibly be. Not about labels and names. It's not, orthodox is just a word people use. Halach and conversion is not one denomination, another denomination. That's the way God set into motion the concept of how a person who's born non-Jewish becomes a Jew. By Martin Tater, that's what the Jews had to go through. There's a process. Why there's a process is another discussion. That's what I believe we must do. Okay. So I dedicated a lot of time to this, but I think it was important. So now let us go to some follow-up. Well, follow-up. We spoke about Chavches Nissen. 
And here too, Mashiach, another topic that's embroiled in either ignorance, confusion, controversy, divisiveness even. And it comes down to it's always about clarity. The most important thing, which is really the essence of why Chassidus Applied exists, is clarity. To talk about a topic, look at it in the sources, look at the different commentaries. There could be different opinions, but all with clarity, not different opinions out of confusion, different opinions of different ways to present something or different approaches to something, or different opinions about the matter itself, but out of clarity, out of strength. Once you go with that approach, most disagreements disappear, and even if they're there, they're not personal, because it's a matter of a principle, of, of different idea, different theology, a different way of looking at it. So 30 years ago, the Rebbe spoke that in Passion Sicha, which echoed a lot of what was said, Purim Tav Shemem Zayin, Two thousand for Kent, giving us we must do something. So last week I spoke quite many angles on this topic. Quite a few questions remained, and I see more are going to remain. So I want to do some follow up on that. And and hopefully cover as much as I can during our now we have our time. So so a few questions followed up. One person writes the following. Why is there no campaign to improve our midas? Our midas means our personality, our character. Isn't it true that in many of the Rebbe's memoriam, the Rebbe quoted the Mitla Rebbe, who said that our main function before Mashiach comes is to improve our midas, our personalities, our, uh, our character. Midas is our emotional, well, emotional structure, how we love, how we discipline, compassion. I'm going through all, I might as well mention them all. We talk about them, of course, the Sfiris Amos, so it's a real focus now. Chesed, Gvurit, Teferis, Netzachid, Yesod, Malchus, the beard of the seven Midas. I have a book on this called The Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer, as well as an app. If you're not familiar with it, go to My Omer, both on Android and, and iOS, iPhones. My Omer, which has also, besides the counting, what Chesed Shabbat Chesed, Gvurit Shabbat Chesed, what particular characteristic and personality feature we refine each day? Okay, so improve our midas. Going back to this, quoted by the Mitla Rebbe, who said that our main function before Mashiach comes to improve our midas, as illustrated by the fact that we were only told to conquer seven nations, and we will get to the other three when Mashiach comes. So why is that? Not, why is that? Since the twenty-eighth of Nisan, why has not there been a campaign to promote beinodem lechavede between? a human being and a friend. In other words, promote uh, our, our care for each other, our emotional, re- promote refinement of our emotional personalities that reflect our relationships with each other. And I'm adding, Svira Seymer is absolutely right at the exact time. Chav Ches Nissen is right in the beginning of Svira Seymer. So the Midas are, as I said, Chesed through Malchus, love, discipline, compassion, ambition or determination, humility or yielding, bonding and dignity. There are different translations, but let's use those. So, you know something? I have the same question. <laughs> and Ataka should be part of it. I mean, at the end of the day, Avis Yisrael is the foundation of the Klal Gadol B'Tayla, of the entire Tayla. Especially during Sfira, when the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, each with their own passion and passionate commitment to their ideas, but they didn't honor one another. And there was the Magay for the plague. Yes, a pandemic for those students, or you call it an epidemic, plague. Even though they heard from their own teacher, this also explains, similar to what I said in the beginning of this program, the idea of Rotzeh with Arashuv. They are very strong. Their disagreements were in Teireh, but they didn't have the ability to cooperate with each other. They didn't have that bitl. So we learn from that as well. So there's no doubt that it's a foundation of all foundations, that if we had Avis Yisrael, the Rebbe writes, if there was Avis Yisrael, we'd have Mashiach here already. The unity will lead us to Mashiach. And this isn't just being united. It comes down to, yes, refining our midas. 
So I would submit this as on top of the list of suggestions of what we should be doing. Make this a major campaign. So thank you for that. And, I'm, and I, as I said, I totally agree. Another person asked, what should we study in particular? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I follow your program carefully. I really enjoy it and learn a lot from it. And as a Baal with limited formal Torah education, please excuse me if this isn't in line with what you were referring to. In episode 350, which was last week, you called for everyone to do more and acknowledge our personal responsibility to bring Mashiach and for us to share our ideas with you if we have any. You mentioned one of the mitzvahs that could hasten Mashiach's arrival is studying Mashiach and Gola. Well, it's actually, not, I mentioned something the Rebbe said that would hasten Mashiach's coming. Studying Mashiach and Gola. I've also seen elsewhere from the Rebbe archive, Rebbe's archive site that studying the Beis Amigdash will hasten the building of the Beis Amigdash. So firstly, can you share with us what in particular would be good to study? Are there particular sikhs of the Rebbe that should be focused on? Can you clarify for the few in your audience who may not know where to look? Next, I have a thought maybe someone who's knowledgeable could create a study schedule on the topic. We could have a campaign to accumulate study hours from Jews all over the world, all devoted to the study of Geula and Mashiach, and possibly the Beis Amidus, if that too is relevant. Everyone can submit the number of hours they studied on a tally website. Thanks. So, first let's get to the second point. I believe some efforts have been done in that regard. I would need to look into it, but I think people do that. Again, I don't know how, I'm sure it can be infused with more publicity and with more passion and with more excitement, but absolutely. It's one of the things that Rebbe clearly said. It wasn't just a zgula. You learn, so it's like, okay, then Hashem says, you learn about it, so I'll send you the gula. Learning about it prepares us, acclimates us, gets our minds and our hearts, a mindset and a heart set in place to be able to firstly live Gu'uladik, prepare for ourselves for the Gu'ula, which is such a vital component in introducing it. So there's no question learning and doing it collectively is a tremendous tool. And if it hasn't been done, it should be done. I believe efforts have been made. Again, I don't know how much how publicized it is and how much it's carrying is being sustained. But it would be a great idea that people be a list of things to learn and people learn and they tally it and that everyone gets motivated by others like a synergy, a revolution of learning Yoni Gula Mashiach. As far as some suggestions, I'll just mention a few that I think are critical in the whole picture, but then by no means limited to what I'm going to say. I would talk about, firstly, there are Maimorich Siddhis that talk about what the Gu'ul is like, like chapters 36 and 37 in Tanya. Let's start with that. Talking now Chassidus. So Chassidus in general is Tehros Yishol Mashiach, but especially talking about Gu'ula, chapters 36 and 37 give you a picture of what the world will be like, which can, of course, be elaborated upon. There's mitzvahs minu melech and derech mitzvah from the Tzemach Tzedek. It talks about Mashiach, what's a melech, the end is really about Mashiach. So the whole mime is more about what is a melech. So I don't know if it's Yoni Gula Mashiach, but it touches upon the, some of the ideas, the bitl of a leader. Other places that I would refer to in Gula Mashiach would be some of the Rebbe Sichas and Maimodim. Of course, Basilagani Tovshin Yud Aleph. Basilagani in general, Basilagani Tovshin Yud Aleph, the first mimer of the Rebbe. And then now, just not in any particular order, I think Purim Tavshim Emzayin, Chavches Nisan Tavshin Nun Aleph, definitely are in this category. I would add Vayeshev Tavshin Nun Beis, big sikh there where the Rebbe speaks about how do you see the world as much more is ready. Achri Gdeshim and Emer Tavshin Nun Aleph, where he talks about the Aleph of, putting the Aleph of Elufish Lelem in Gaila that makes it into Geula. And these are just coming off my mind, just thinking quickly. Now, there are deeper Maimonim, but I want to say things that I think are easier to understand. There are deeper Maimonim. There's the Rebbe's Maimonim of Tavshin Chofhei, where he speaks Pesach Maimonim, and other places where he talks about the Geula. In general, the goal is to understand what it is, understand how we can relate to it, and then what we can do about it. That's what I'm focusing on right now. Um, Some of the materials I just mentioned have also been translated into English, 
And I would finally add, there's the Dvar Malchus that the Rebbe handed out in the Tav Shinun Beis, where there he talks about, there are four sikhs in there that recently have become more attention in the campaigns around 30 years of Tutals Vasir Kent. If you go to the, the, if you go to the website tutals.com, I believe they have there also a list of some of these sikhs and other stuff, that, other material we can learn. There was a Sefer Megela Lugu'ula that was given out years ago, then from Exile to Redemption in English, that has selections of Inyoni Gula, and there's also others for him that bring from Sichas and other places small short pieces, excerpts about these topics. So there is plenty of material to begin with, and um, if you need more, please don't hesitate to email us at chassidahsupply.com, and we will be happy to provide other resources. Person, another person writes, Dear, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, in relation to the theme of your podcast last Sunday night, specifically that we all have to actually do something to bring Mashiach instead of just thinking, or t- instead of just talking about it. I'm an artist and a photographer. I'm using the publicity of my platform to publicize that every morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is to put a coin in a charity box. And I'm suggesting to my audience that they do the same because when we begin our day with an act of kindness, it sets a positive tone for the entire day. And as the Rebbe has said to the CNN reporter, that Mashiach is ready to come and all we have to do is increase in acts of goodness and kindness. Therefore, may I also suggest to your audience to put a charity box and a stack of coins next to your bed so you can put a coin in charity first thing in the morning as you say the Moida Ani prayer. I am just one person, and this is my personal answer to the Rebbe's request of Chav Ches Nissen, that we must all individually and collectively do something actively to bring Mashiach. May we all soon hear good news, especially the best good news, that Mashiach has arrived, along with all the blessings that we have been promised during the era of peace and prosperity. And just as we sometimes sneak into the kitchen Friday afternoon to taste some of the Shabbos food in, in advance, May God give us an advanced advanced taste of the blessings of the Messianic era in order to energize us. Beautiful. So first of all, I'm deeply touched. I'll tell you why. You know, when you speak, you don't always know who's listening. You don't know how you motivate people. You don't know. The mere fact that I've got these, among many other letters, of people actually taking to heart the words of the Rebbe, is the most gratifying thing because I feel that's my role here, to be a bridge to be a mouthpiece. No, no chidush, I'm not looking to innovate anything, but to be the mouthpiece and make it practical and applicable. So I commend you. Yes, this is exactly each person according to their way. Some things can be bigger, something smaller. Who measures? We don't know what it is that will tip the scale. And your idea is excellent, and I have nothing to add to it. It's beautiful. I would just encourage everyone to do this or do other things. Action, action is paramount. So both this writer and the previous one, I commend you and I and I'm thank you for sharing. I'm glad, I'm very honored to be able to read that for the public and hopefully it motivates myself and all of us to do even more. Now, with a limited amount of time, I wanted, I'll just address, since I had many questions, not just what we can do, but about learning about Gula Mashiach. So we titled it, When Mashiach Comes, dot, 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 what will be? So I want to talk, I'll I'll take two more, and as I say, I'll go through the weeks, I'll talk about different when Mashiach comes questions that that have been posed. When Mashiach comes, would making a 15-year real estate investment, meaning an investment that will only really profit once the 15 years are up, the mortgage, is complete, is that in conjunction with belief and awaiting for Mashiach every day? So basically, when Mashiach comes, how are, we, how are we to balance the belief in Mashiach and living right now our daily lives? So I did address it last week, but I didn't address this particular question, that the Rebbe made it very clear. We're not talking about craziness here. We're not talking about that we suddenly stop everything we're doing and wait by the train station or by our doors or by the bus stop or by the by our airport for Mashiach to come. We await while at the same time we serve God. And remember, serving God is part of bringing Mashiach. As the Alter Rebbe says, is part of the process. So is it a paradox that we are building a new building, we're investing, 
with a 15-year plan and so on, while we believe that every second Mashiach can come, it's not a contradiction. And even if it is, nimnam nimnois. So Jews are expected to do things that are paradoxical. This moment you do what needs to be done. Right now, your child comes to you and say, prepare for me breakfast, lunch. I need a breakfast, lunch. I need to go to school. You don't say Mashiach is coming. You don't eat anything. You, you, right now, according to Taylor, you have to live in the moment. A pnimi, in the moment, has to do everything exactly as what Taylor expects of us right now. You're an institution. You need to build a building. Build a building. You don't make a contingency plan and say, you know what, I won't build. We'll live in a tent or we'll rent because Mashiach may come any second. Right now, you have to do it completely because that's where Hashem wants you to do. The same Hashem that says a second later, Mashiach can come. We're not doing it because we have doubts and therefore said, you know what, plan B is, let's start with plan A, which will build a building, and plan B, Mashiach comes fine. No, it's the same God that said, wait for Mashiach every second, is saying right now, build in the fullest sense of the word. Plan properly. You don't want to plan in a way that you're ignoring Mashiach. But we don't change our immediate plans. There's an actually interesting statement that the Shalom writes to his son, which indicates that Shalom was written also for his son. So his son clearly had some money relative to those times. He tells him, the Mesech the Sukkot, the Shalor writes. It's a lesson from Sukkot. He says that, yeah, God should bless you, build a big, a big palace, and have a place for Teda and for Tefillah. Then he says, and it should be comfortable, but don't build more than necessary. Because, Now, don't indulge, don't become too opulent, don't become like, so what you need, yeah, and even more than you need, in a comfortable way. But he says, don't build more than you need, because that's like a way of distracting yourself, believing that Mashiach, ah, you know, it may not come or it's going to come later. So it's an interesting balance and, um, and completely consistent with what we're discussing here. Okay. When Mashiach comes, do we bring Mashiach by doing mitzvahs or do we wait for Mashiach and do mitzvahs? Both. Mitzvahs, Mesenev, Avedesenu, bring Mashiach, because Mashiach is the cumulative total of all our good deeds, the building blocks that our good deeds release, the energy that each mitzvah does. And when Mashiach comes, we'll do mitzvahs, which will mean even more complete way, because we'll have a Beis HaMikdash, we'll have other factors that will allow us to do mitzvahs in the, in the fullest possible way. To the point that some say that all the mitzvahs done today are like only chinuch, an education preparing us for the time of Mashiach. When Mashiach comes, will there be any difficulty in getting to Eretz Yisrael? Why continually put physical roots down in the Golis and Mashiach will be here soon? In other words, like buying new or expanding buildings. Will there be any difficulty in getting to Eretz Yisrael when Mashiach comes? Well, the first question I answered. The second, what do you mean by difficulty? You mean, will there be two, the airlines will be packed? I'm sure we'll figure it out. Mashiach comes, there'll be plenty of incentives, many ways to charter planes and do whatever it takes. Aruim Ananishmaya. In different manners. So, okay, these are when Mashiach comes questions. I now will go to Chassidus question. Let me just see what else I have to cover here. And then I'm going to do the essays that I uh, stopped the last two weeks for because of the other topics, the special topics. I wanted to do, okay. So, Chassidus, why do the 248 positive mitzvahs correspond to the 248 limbs? Since we're talking about mitzvahs, that's an appropriate question. I've come across many places in Chassidus, and specifically in the Tanya, where the 248 positive mitzvahs, Ramach mitzvah sesa, are compared to the limbs of the body, which are 248, and the 365 negative mitzvahs, Shasa loisase, are compared to the 365 blood vessels in the body. What is the deeper meaning of this comparison? Thank you for taking the time to answer my question. The deeper comparison is very, very, uh, very beautiful. And it's also stated in a number of places. Everything in this physical world evolves from the spiritual counterpart. So love, here in this world, evolves from love and atzillus. Water actually corresponds to chesed as well, love. As does fire correspond to gvurah. So the human being was created in the divine image. So our very body, the psari, 
is really a manifestation of divine energy. So no surprise that every part of the body corresponds to and reflects another aspect of the divine. How do we align that part of the body with what God wants us to use that body for? That's why we have Torah mitzvahs. So it makes total sense. Each mitzvah corresponds to another part of us. The mitzvahs that are is bepeh, dependent on speech, davening, learning. Another thing, speaking properly, not speaking, not the, speaking properly, corresponds to the mitzvahs that mitzvah corresponds to the mouth. That's why the mouth was created. Same thing with the ears, what you listen to. Same thing with the nose. So there are mitzvahs that correspond to each part of the body with its goal of aligning that component, that part of the machine, with God's plan. What's a mitzvah? A connection. Tzavseh v'chibur. Same thing, shasa loisasa. The 365 negative correspond to 365 blood vessels or veins, gidim, which has different meanings. For the same reason, when you don't do that, you're refining that part of the body. So essentially, when a person is completely aligned, there are 248 limbs. And they're every part of the body. And there are 365 gidim, veins or channels or... Uh, are aligned to Hashem. By the Ovis, Heinein, and Merkava, they were completely aligned. There's a sefer called Sefer Chredim where he actually explains the corresponding mitzvahs to each part of the human body. And the practical application of that is quite obvious, that you think in each case when you're doing something, what are your hands given to you for? To stretch out, to help another person, give them zedakah. And the same thing with every part of who we are. Your legs run to do a mitzvah. Okay. We'll finally conclude with the... We've been doing... This is the sixth annual... My Life Chassidus Applied Essay and Creative Contest. So we've been going through an order of the winners. We're up to the 19th place. And we do four tracks. An essay in English, the creative, the Hebrew men, and the Hebrew women essay. So the 19th is But Why. Sivya Greenbaum, age 19, student based Chana, Tzfas Seminary, originates from Hampton East, Australia. Basically, it covers the issue of questioning, the role of questions in Chassidus, the importance of questions, how to help us grow, proper type of questions. It's a very interesting, creative approach, but the importance of questioning and why questions are so vital in serving God and growing in our lives. The creative, I'll go to the creative, your gashes will gild me, it's the form create a form of poetry. Adel Cohen, age 26, Siva Sashem, Brooklyn, New York. Beautiful poem about how our gashes, that the challenges in our lives bring out the best, perfect, refine who we are. These two are the essay and the creative can be seen at chassidusapply.com. And now, the essay in Hebrew for men, Avis Yisrael, Drori, Mr. Drori Galili, Shadrot Israel, Israel, really a very nice compendium on Avis Israel from many places in Chassidus, starting from Tanya and other places, many different angles. So it's uh, very refreshing to see in that way. Beautiful essay, very balbatish and practical. And finally, the essay in Hebrew for women, Hanashama Atzmis, Chaimushka Lipsker, Jerusalem, Israel, I think Jerusalem. Or I recall, I don't think we had the city, so that may be wrong. Sorry about that. Shama Atzmis talks about how Atzmos, God himself, manifested in the Shama as it comes down into, world, into the world and how this physical world becomes a divine home for alakus and godliness. Also very well articulated, bringing together many parts of Chassidus, this fundamental concept of how this comes manifests in this world. And the two Hebrew essays can be seen diralo.org. So with that, my friends, we conclude episode 251 of My Life Chassidus Applied. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. 
Everyone have a gesunte, a healthy, month of year, refined refining ourselves, our midas, and sanctifying our lives, and integrating it with our personal lives down here in this earth, and preparing the world for Mashiach and Geula, where there'll be a complete dira betachtein. Thank you. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapply.com slash donate.